The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments, allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Rick Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome. This is Dr. Vic, and you're listening to The Mindful Experiment. In this episode, I had the distinct honor and pleasure to interview David Gandelman. Now, when you listen to this interview, you can tell right off the bat that David's a very calm and centered individual. He has a unique energy about himself, and so we, and we had a lot of fun on the podcast diving into so many different topics and really sharing his story, his journey of what he went through and so much more. So McSoda is so excited to share this with you. Um, to talk a little bit about David, David is the founder of www.davidgandelman.com. He's the co-host of the Energy Matters podcast. He's the host of the Grounded Sleep podcast, and he teaches meditations at Cornell University, among many other well-known venues. When David was 16, he had a radical shift in consciousness and began meditating deeply and studying a variety of meditative traditions. He says, you don't have to be in the Himalayas to find peace of mind, but it doesn't hurt to learn from someone who has. Within over 10 years of teaching experience, David has cultivated a program that con connects energetic experience, ancient wisdom traditions, and humor to create a safe atmosphere for people interested in developing their natural spiritual abilities and tapping into their creative potential through meditation. It was, like I said, this is an awesome interview. And we really get into the meditative side of things. I don't want to take too much more thunder away from David. So here is David Gandelman. David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Vic. I'm excited to have you on. I love having individuals who are all about the mind and, and, and just how to free themselves to uh, go deeper with their life and be more just free in all aspects. So uh, check you out, love all that you're doing. And uh, I'm just excited to, to spend some time with you and on this podcast. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, I have a publicist, Jennifer, who works with me, who was like, hey, you got to get on his show. It's really cool. Dr. Dawson Church was just on it. And I was like, sure, this, this guy looks awesome. Let's do it. Awesome. Well, I'm excited, man. So um, I'm always curious. And, and it, 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 when people get into the kind of work that you're doing, how, how did the life universe, how did that guide you to go down this path? What's, what's your story, in other words? Yeah, well, I'll give you the very short version first, which is <laughs> I was an ice hockey player in high school through college, uh, but I did start meditating at 16, had I would guess what I would call a spiritual awakening from reading uh, Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. It was the year 2000, and it totally changed the way I looked at life. Uh, I got calmer, 
more centered, more grounded. My grades went up. <laughs> I even like to joke, but it's true. I got like the prettiest girl in school. Like everything got better <laughs> as I started meditating. Uh, and then I ended up living in Spain. I was a party tour guide. Then I found myself living in the Himalayas, studying you know meditation, Vedanta, some deep, doing some deep inner work, living in an ashram. And then I ended up in Hawaii at a, an intuitive training school for seven years doing very woo-woo spiritual stuff, <laughs> which we can get into if you like. And then uh, I started teaching on my own and traveling across the country, doing workshops, retreats, uh, podcasting. And, uh, and, and now I live in Los Angeles teaching here and, and on some apps uh, and all over the interwebs. <laughs> oh, wow. So you've been around a little bit. <laughs> been, I feel like I've lived uh, 10 lifetimes in one. Yeah. Holy cow. I think that's a blessing, but also like a curse. Yeah. It can feel like a curse. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> this so, episode of Star Trek, uh, Vic, where Captain Picard gets lost in some other realm where he lives an entire lifetime and then goes back to his ship and it just like a minute went by for the ship or however long. And everyone was like, are you okay? And he's got this whole other perspective where he's like, oh, damn, you don't even know what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's what going to India feels like and coming back. How was it living in India in the ashram? I mean, did you take up, did you learn about the, you know, obviously I'm assuming you learned the Hindu culture, but like the religion and uh, all that, or what, what was the spiritual side of it all for you? Yeah, I wasn't very interested in the religious aspects of so much as the philosophy and the spiritual aspects. And I, li I lived in an ashram next to where the Beatles lived in Rishikesh, literally the next ashram over pretty much. So and cool. Yeah. Head shaved, just doing yoga all day, meditating books stacked to the ceiling, studying with different teachers, masters. And uh, I learned an enormous, enormous amount. But there was a limitation to that as well, which was I wasn't living in the world. And I'm sure for a lot of your listeners, they're, you know, driving to work or they're exercising or they're wanting to get better at meditating or take their life to the next step. And so they're not living in an ashram. And so there was a huge chunk that was missing. It was so easy to sit in bliss all day and meditate once I got the hang of it. Uh, but at a certain point, I had to, you know, go back to the United States and get a job and maybe a partner and decide what I wanted to do with my life. And so all of that took other skill sets that I wasn't learning in the ashram, which in Indian philosophy and spirituality, the focus is very much, as at least what I was learning, the focus is very much on this life is an illusion. You know, everything is what in Sanskrit they would call Maya, an illusion. And your job is to wake up out of that, out of that dream. And that is true. But at the same time, we have to live our lives and, you know, have make a living and be productive and share and grow and, and be part of the human species. And so that part started to almost awaken in me next. And I realized, oh, there's so much more about life that I have to learn. And so I decided to leave and continue on my journey. But that time in India definitely uh, changed my life. And I highly recommend it to anybody who's looking for a great spiritual quest. India will kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say? And I know this, this may be hard to sum up, but like, what was like the biggest spiritual lesson you got being there? Well, at the time I was learning a specific kind of lesson. So I think 
for all of us at certain moments in our lives, we need a certain lesson. It's not like the best lesson or the ultimate one. But the one I was learning about in India was really about the depth of spirituality and consciousness. So I would meditate a lot and really go into the mind and go into the energetic body and just see what was there and sit with that for endless hours. And out of that, I think, came a really deep kind of peace and calm that I that's kind of stayed with me since. And I don't know if I have like one overarching philosophical concept that came out of India. Uh, you know, it's easy to borrow really great concepts, Vic. You know, it's, <laughs> I, I've read so much and I have a degree in philosophy. I could borrow people's concepts all day, yeah, especially my teachers. And I used to do that. And I used to just like regurgitate their, their ideas and their truths. Uh, but Looking back, I think what I just what really what I started to find in India was more and more of myself of oh, when I go inwards and look in here, what, what is this? And that was the first time in my life where there were people around me that validated my spiritual path. Because I grew up in New Jersey in the suburbs of New York City. And when I started meditating at 16, there was not a single person I knew that meditated for like five years. <laughs> there was nobody, you know, there were no teachers. There, The internet was like starting. I had dial up, I think, but it wasn't, there, there wasn't, you can go, you can go on YouTube and watch Eckhart Tolle or some other amazing teacher. You know, there wasn't nearly as many resources and there was no support. So I was kind of on my own with my books for years. And then when I got to India, I was like, oh my God, there's thousands of foreigners, Westerners from all these different countries on the same quest that I'm on. And we all get to hang out and enjoy ourselves together and meditate. It was, so that was for the first time in my life profound. I felt like I had a tribe and a group of people that understood me. That's huge, man. That, that, and that, that, that energy, that's, that, that sacred space you guys shared um, really probably was the, the, the biggest shift for you at all. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people right now, they only get that from listening to podcasts. They're like, all right, this is my Dr. Vic's show is my tribe. Or, you know what I mean? Like not everyone gets to go to live in the Himalayas or live in like some bubble in Los Angeles where everyone's spiritual or something. So I feel for anyone who's listening is like, where's my, where's my tribe? You know, uh, I think it is important to surround yourself with people that can help you cultivate whatever it is that you're working on cultivating. Otherwise you, you can kind of feel isolated. And you brought up a great point earlier, too, about like, you know, the, the Maya, the illusion and, you know, the got to awake. And, I, and I've studied some Hinduism and I read the Bhagavad I'm messing this up. But, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's years ago when I read this. But, you know, <clears throat> one of the things you brought up was, you know, I was regurgitating and just sharing with other people and my teachers and taking things from here and there which I see in the business world, I see as personal development world, I see this in a lot of different arenas where people just take someone's stuff and they borrow and use it. Um, and I mean, I've even heard someone, some people say like, I don't know if you've heard this before, like a good idea is a stolen idea. And I'm just like, hold up. And I, I hear that, yeah, from a business side, I get it. You know, my background's in business. I can understand. I don't agree with that philosophy, but, but then there comes a point though when you do something like that, how much of that are you not showing up your uniqueness? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I agree that in business, it is very important, right? Like you don't need to reinvent the wheel if you want to build a Tesla. Like Elon Musk took wheels and he took, you know, different composites and 
uh, metals and put them together. So you don't need to reinvent everything by, by any means. So you want to use the wisdom of teachers and the maps that they've laid out for you. But at the same time, when you go inwards, you definitely have to learn how to rely on your own information and truth. But there's a, there's, there's a cycle to growth. So I think in the beginning of a spiritual growth cycle, what we're doing is we're going out and we're gathering information. So when I was 16, all I did was read. And then I went to college and major philosophy. I just absorbed other people's information. Just like when you're getting onto a health kick or an entrepreneurship kick, you just start like listening to all the podcasts and reading all the books and, and you're like, taking all this information in. And then you go into a phase of you're starting to like decide which information really resonates with you that, that touches something inside of you that you agree with. And then you start integrating that and developing it in yourself. I think and then the last phase is you truly just become free and the information comes from the inside out. I don't know if there's a way around that cycle and I don't like to invalidate people if they're in a particular part of that cycle and say, hey, you shouldn't be just taking information from the outside, listen to yourself. They might not be there yet to listen to themselves. There might be a lot of fear or doubt and they need guidance and help. But I do think that there is a clear cycle to growth. And we all have these cycles in different parts of our lives. So maybe you're really far ahead in that cycle in your spiritual life, but in your relationship life, like you're, you're just gathering information, like how does this whole human relationship thing work? Or an entrepreneurship, maybe you're at the beginning stages. So you have to honor wherever you're at and go with that. And I find sometimes when like younger students will come to me, they'll be in that beginning phase of just like gobbling up information. And in spirituality, we'll see this in what we call like the spiritual shopper. <laughs> yeah, guru to guru, teacher to teacher, book to book, style to style, just taking everything in. And everybody likes to poo-poo on that. Like, don't do that. Choose something. But someone might not be ready to choose something. Maybe they need to, it's like dating, right? You date some people until you get a sense of the kind of person that you want to be with. The same could be said with a spiritual practice or a teacher. So yes, you definitely want to tap in deeply into your own truth, but at the same time, you know, know where you're at and it's okay to take information from the outside. And I love, uh, I'm bringing up Elon Musk today, but like Tesla open sources their uh, patents, right? So anybody can go out there and use all their information and build their own cars and start their own car companies. And I think that's amazing. But even if they do, they're going to have to create something that's unique. Otherwise, they won't beat out a Tesla. And the same can be said for spirituality. Like all the inf spiritual information that's ever been said is available. It's free. And it's out there and you could take as much of it as you want, but at a certain point, you're going to have to develop something of your own. No, I totally agree. You sound like you're talking about my life when I first started with everything. Yeah, I was just start there, yeah. right. We, gobbling up reading 80 to 120 books a year because that's what I was told what you had to do and you know and I'm, I'm just dry, grinding as you know all that stuff and then you get to a point where you're kind of like I hey, hold up, what do I really care about the most I'm just going to put my energy there yeah and you know for me Vic like 
oh, my, some of my teachers used to say like, stay away from teaching about relationships. Don't, you know, stay away from teaching about business. Just stick to the energetic stuff and the spiritual stuff. And I did for a while. And then I realized, wait, this, that's not true for me. Like my students are coming to me with relationship issues and, and business questions. And I like entrepreneurship. I enjoy the process of like building a business the way some people like to work on cars. Like I don't work on cars, but I like looking at a business and seeing where it could be done better and helping people pull out their potential and sharing it with the world. And so when I realized that, it went kind of against the grain of almost all of my teachers. And that was part of my path. I had to own it. Because if we if we just become a carbon copy of our teachers, then what good are we, right? Just we, they're already there. Why does the world need us? So almost definitely at some point in your life, in some way, you're going to go against the grain of the people who taught you or that you look up to and and that's okay because it's you developing into yourself you have something unique to offer the world so if somebody is spiritual and they want to create a business which creates freedom for them so they don't have to do a nine to five and be a slave to some jerk or corporation where you're a number that that's spiritual isn't it to to create an energetic freedom on the outside and I like helping people with that. It, it, there's something that it fulfills in my soul very, very deeply. It's crazy to say, but I love helping other people make money uh, almost to a fault where like, sometimes I forget about myself, but it just brings me so much joy to see somebody like not just money, but like their path, like step on their path and, and create and share into the world. And sometimes making money can be an expression of personal power, boundaries, and just like a level of a reflection of inner success where you're like, I, I knew what I, I decided I can own what I know, share it with the world and be okay with receiving for sharing it. And that's a beautiful process to, to help people with. So that was something I had to own that was very different than a lot of my teachers. When you first started going down that path, what did you have a old thought patterns come up? What emotions were, was it like you just went there and you're like, I'm doing this and that's it? Or was there some bumps in the road? Oh, well, I've told this story once or twice before, but the first time I ever went to make a video, Vic, I, I put up a green screen and I was up on this ladder and I had a very clear thought that I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as my teacher. That was the thought. I'm not as good as my teacher. I never will be. I could even see where in my head the thought was. It was like up and to the left. And I looked at it and I fell off the ladder. Everything crashed. Camera hit me in the head. And I just had this huge welt. And I couldn't record for days. And I almost quit right there. I was like, ah, oh, suck at this. I'm there. I can't do it. I should try something else. But, you know, I decided, no, don't do that. Just keep going. And I didn't know anything about business or how to create an online presence or create content. And it was a whole second arc after spirituality. I had to learn all of this and, and teach myself and get through all of the inv- tons of invalidation of I'm not good enough. I'll never be as good as my teachers. Why am I doing this? Who's going to listen to me? You know, all of that was just like this daily smacking me up on the head. But part of getting out there and letting the world see you is getting through that energy. I always tell people, like, you you, you can't wait for the external validation and then do something. Like, the world isn't going to come cheer you for existing. You have to create (laughs) something and share it, right? This isn't 
kindergarten where everyone claps because you stood up. <laughs> they, you have to really get over your fears and, and develop something to share. And, and that was my process. So the number one emotion or energy I had to get through for sure was invalidation. That I'm, I wasn't good enough to be, I'm not, who am I? I'm not the Buddha, right? Or I'm not Eckhart Tolle, or I'm not my teachers in Hawaii or in India. They're all older. They all have beards. What you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to grow a beard, right? Did you think about that? Did you do that? <laughs> a large beard, otherwise pick a different profession. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. Um, and, and I think that's a huge thing. And, and, and now that you've crossed over that bridge and you, you got over that hump, I mean, I, obviously life has been more freeing for you since then. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever fully get over this. And I, and I want everyone listening to, to get this as well. Like you're, it's not like you go from having fear to having no fear or having doubt to having no doubt. Like that would be great. But it's just not reality. Like there'll always be some form of I'm not good enough or invalidation on some level, I'm sure, that I'm working through, right? And there's the level changes. So maybe it was like presenting in front of 10 people, then 100, then 1,000, then 100,000. Or, you know, the game kind of changes in different ways. For example, uh, not too long ago, I gave a talk in New York City at this medical group, and my cousin came, who's a very successful doctor, you know, Ivy League trained doctor, and he just sat right there in the corner. And for me, that was another level of overcoming some of that. I'm not good enough to present in front of all of these people, especially in front of him, you know, family. It's different when it's strangers and they only know you from your online work. And so that was an important moment for me to, to be confident enough to work through that. So I think that life will always give us these moments and challenges and we get to every time just use that opportunity to grow a little bit more. So by no means, if you're listening to this, I don't think like, oh, David got over his fear. No, <laughs> you know, I'm doing it every minute of every day. That is the work. That is the, that's my lifetime's work. It's kind of like, ever seen the movie uh, Beautiful Mind? Oh yeah, with Russell Crowe. Yeah, I, what you're saying, I mean, my old programming used to be, once I get to this level, I won't have issues anymore. Right. And I know there's a lot of people, when I share this story, a lot of people are like, Oh my God, me too. I thought the same, I thought the same thing. Yeah. Good <laughs> <Right>? luck. <laughs> but I, what I loved about the beautiful mind and I'm not going to steal away from the movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's exactly what David's talking about. Like your problems never go away. They just change. They evolve just like you do. They evolve. I think it's just a the fact of being a human being, you know, in a temporal reality, in an imperfect body. It, life wants us to fall in love with imperfection. Life wants us to accept imperfection. Otherwise, it would make everything perfect. But it didn't. And there's a saying in Zen, enlightenment is not having anxiety over imperfection. And so I think when we start to meditate or we start to go inwards, we have to recognize that it's not about becoming perfect. It's about loving the imperfection. And of course, you know, we can grow. It doesn't mean like if, if you're not physically healthy, you just say, oh, I love my imperfection. You lay on the couch. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about <laughs> the attitude that you have towards yourself with your eyes open and your eyes closed. That is something that you have control over that you can work on every day.
And as you do in your energy shifts, your life will start to shift. You'll start to attract more positive people. You'll start to attract better opportunities. I mean, when your energy shifts, your life will definitely shift. If if there's anything I'm sure of, I'm, I'm sure of that. And most people say, well, my life hasn't shifted, David. And I'm like, well, I can hear the complaining in your voice. Your energy hasn't shifted either. (laughs) (laughs) Hasn't shifted enough. Keep going. Keep going. People put their own timelines on things like, oh, I've been meditating for three months. Where's my shift? And I'm like, give it five to 10 years. (laughs) And they're like, no, I want to I got no, I'm not the six minute abs guy. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> you can't get there that fast. <laughs> and I think that's difficult for a lot of people, especially in the West. I don't know how it is in the East, um, but like, because I'm me being in the health field and doing the mindset stuff, it's one of those things. And they're so, so the same, right? Because the, the healing journey is one that never ends. And it's not, if you're truly going to heal from the ground up, it's not, tomorrow it's not in a month or two it, it's 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 a long process and i and i and i think what you're bringing up too is the same thing where doing the work is a long process it's not something that uh, just happens in a month from now and it's probably harder than ever to focus because we've got you know these crazy phones that are just ruining our brains so i I have compassion for people who are starting now. When I started, there weren't iPhones and there wasn't nearly as much distraction. But in India and in the East, the way I like to see it is like time is cyclical, right? So uh, in Hinduism, for example, you're born and reborn forever. So there's this almost sense like there's not as much of a pull into the future. There's this understanding that time is kind of infinite and cyclical. Whereas in the West, we're going very much from past to future. And it's all about development. So I like to think of it as like in the East, it's about inner growth and discovery and enlightenment. And in the West, it's about development. But that development has no end, right? You can develop, there's infinite stars, we can just develop and develop and develop. And I think that's fantastic. But without the Eastern side of that inner growth, that Western part of us can really get out of control. So it's, I don't think we want a world of people just sitting and meditating in the ashrams. We want people developing. Like one of my great life goals is to be able to go into space. Like I, I love space. I want to explore the stars. So we, I, I want that development. But without the inner development, we just destroy ourselves. So we need that balance. And I think that's why guys like me and you podcast and and teach because we want to bring that inner side to the outer world. Otherwise, that materialism is just empty. And in the East, they've got serious issues. If you go to India, because they're so not materially based or haven't been, you know, historically now they are much more. But there's this outer poverty that badly needs some some help and, and healing. So we we can learn very much from each other. And my vision of the future for human beings is that integrated inner and outer person where you accept and understand the scientific side of life and the discovery and the, the advancement of society and civilization. And you understand the inner workings of consciousness and personal evolution. And I think that that kind of balance is what will save this planet. You know, when I watch these like political debates and I have a degree in politics too, almost 
100% of the conversation is if we change this policy, we'll change the world, right? So if, if we move these chess pieces around the board, then it will be more fair and we'll change the world. And that's true to an extent, but if people don't change, there all, will always be massive issues on this planet, violence and inequality and corruption. You can't only change it from the outside in. And you can't only change it from the inside out. Like you do need a sewage pipe and you need a road and you need a school and you need food. So I like to, I like to see it like developing from both sides. I think when the East and the West meet and they truly grow together is when we'll have a really beautiful shift on this planet. I agree. I mean, from a, like a neuroscience standpoint, I always say when you it just when you balance both hemispheres of the brain, yeah. you're definitely in a more synchronistic effect. But also, to me, you know, left brain is our physical world, right brain is our intuitive inside world. And uh, I love how you said it has to be a perfect marriage. And I think it's, it's, I don't know if you're seeing this, I know I have for a little bit where you're starting to, you know, science and spirituality are coming together. And it's, 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 it's taken some time. Uh, there's some scientists who do not want to <laughs> go down that path, but it, it's slowly coming together where it's like we're finding this kind of middle ground where it, we can be left brain, but also be right brain at the same time and work together. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, what would you say is your definition of an individual who has either who's in enlightenment, uh, if you want to say who has reached enlightenment, whatever, whatever terminology works for you. I'm just curious to see. The definition of a person who has reached kind of inner and outer or, just, or just, let's just say enlightenment in general. Yeah. Um, I think defining enlightenment is very, very difficult, but, I would say that somebody who's reached to a really special place like that is really somebody that has recognized that they're more than just the thoughts in their head and the emotions fluctuating through their body. And there's this connection to this stillness inside of themselves and a connection to kind of the fabric of reality that courses through all of life. And it's not intellectual. It's, we can sit here and I could say everything is one and then we can discuss how physicists tell us, you know, there are quantum particles that when you separate them, they still affect each other. And all of that is fine, but I like to tell my students, like, understanding something on a conceptual level like that is like trying to wipe something off your face in the mirror. Like it's, it doesn't actually touch reality. So I think somebody who's really in an awake state state. I don't even, I wouldn't even exactly call it a state, but it's somebody who is really truly connected to like capital L life and they have no dogma and there is no belief system. There's no, this is the right way. It's just really truly being in tune with life beyond that egoic state that you know, so, so many of us get caught up in every day. Like, it's my money, and this is my life, and this my house, and I can't believe that person said that about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a pretty good. I mean, I like that definition. I, I, I've, I, I think it is a little on the harder side to really define what really um, it is, but I like how you brought it together in, in that perspective. I mean, I've even heard people say like it's. It's, uh, you know, wanting to be in this world and the other world all at the same time, like the same desire, you know, but at, at the same token, you, you're in this perfect place of inner stillness and peace. Yeah. Um, I always think of it as like when you get to that meditative state of like, 
uh, I don't want to say blissing. I call it blissing out, but it's, it's just in that, that there's that nice place where you're just, you're, you're, you're you, but you're just at such a calm, but you see things through in a different perspective. Like your, your perception has grown. Um, but being like that all the time, which I know it's, it's hard to do in, in the physical realm. It is. It is. And I don't think even like some quote unquote enlightened person is, is blissed out all the time either. I think there's just this kind of subtle underlying awareness of that connection of, of life. And sometimes that can be blissful and sometimes it can even be sad. Like this idea that someone enlightened never gets sad or angry or upset is probably not true. Uh, I mean, when we look at the statue of the Buddha, we all think, oh, the Buddha is always still and always calm. Well, yeah, because it's a statue. (laughs) (laughs) If you met him, he would probably be like a funny, unique individual with his own personality traits. But we always, you know, make people into legends and then we can never live up to them. And one of my teachers always says, if you want a perfect guru, choose a dead one. (laughs) that's funny that's a good one yeah and it's just not reality and if you hold an enlightened person at that standard then you'll always keep yourself from reaching your own enlightenment because you've created an impossible false standard that to reach and enlightenment isn't about reaching to a standard it's about going inwards and awakening to who you are But I think the problem is that we're all programmed from childhood that like everything is progress and everything you have to, you have to like develop into. And that's true to an extent, but awake spiritual awakening is you're not, it's, it's just a realization of, of truth that's already inside you. It doesn't matter your gender or your age or how much you've sinned, quote unquote. (laughs) None of that has any effect whatsoever on your own enlightenment. It's just a realization and so we're so programmed that we have to do something to get something right everything in life you have to do something to get something but when it comes to enlightenment it's very counterintuitive it's you have to let go of doing everything and and even let go of the desire to get something and so it's it's a very i would say nuanced path to uh to really deepen into yourself Meditation has come up a lot and I'm kind of curious to, um, I, I know you have a meditative practice. Is there, how did you, did you get into, cause I know like transcendental meditation, is that, is that popular out in India? Um, you know, that's where the Beatles lived. <laughs> he was the father of TM and, you know, nowadays you have people like Jerry Seinfeld do it and Howard Stern and all these celebrities do transcendental meditation. But to be honest, I never, I've never done it. It's a mantra based meditation. Uh, as far as I know, and you do it twice a day for 20 minutes, <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld has a great joke about it because he would only do it once a day. And I think it was uh, in the afternoon and someone's like Jerry you have to meditate in the morning as well and he's like why would I wake up to go take a nap again or why would I wake up to go rest you know he's like <laughs> so so for years he didn't do do it twice a day and now apparently he does and is he says, uh, and along with uh, who's that hedge fund? Ray Dalio, the hedge fund manager, has been doing it for I think like 
40 years or something as well. And they all swear by it and how it's changed their lives. But their lives are also very career-based, right? So their their focus is so much on producing. Uh, if your focus is really like deep, deep spiritual inquiry and discovery, that that might not be enough for you, sitting 20 minutes and doing a mantra. There, there might be other practices and depths that you want to explore. But I think it's a great place f- to start. And for a lot of people, I've heard it works wonders. I just actually have never tried it. Oh, wow. So can you, can you share what is your meditative practice that you do? Yeah. You know, I don't have a name for it, to be honest. And it's kind of a synergy of a bunch of styles and traditions that that I've learned. But what I practice and mostly teach my students these days is energy awareness. So, you know, when you kind of wake up in the morning and you feel a little groggy and maybe you feel like this pressure on your head, you're like, ah, what is that energy? I went to sleep. Okay. There's like this sensation, this feeling, this energy that, that can hit us throughout the day. And we take everything that we feel to be our own. And this is kind of my, maybe my unique piece that I like to offer people in meditation is that not everything you think and feel belongs to you. You may be absorbing it from the outside world. And so if we don't recognize that, we get up in the morning, we go to sit and we're like, oh, I feel like crap. But what you don't realize is you've already absorbed your emails. You've already absorbed somebody else's thoughts and emotions, even at a distance from my experience. And once we start to recognize that and release that energy, it's like that Michelangelo says he carved the David. He said all he did was move all the pieces that weren't the David. And that's kind of how I like to look at it. We start to release all of the programming, energy, and information that, that kind of hits us from the outside world. We let that go, and then we discover ourselves underneath that. So I think for a lot of people, that works really well because we're so in the world. If you were just sitting under a tree by yourself for a decade, it would be something else. But because we're so inundated with energy and information, where I like to start myself and a lot of my students is recognizing all of that noise and releasing it you know, emotional, energetic, mental noise, releasing that noise. And then I really, really, really like to, to focus on and I teach my students how to find their own answers. So for example, you wake up in the morning, you sit, you meditate, you release some sludge, some negativity, some doubt, some invalidation, some resentment, whatever it is. Shout out to everyone listening. <laughs> Did I say <laughs> We've released whatever it is. And then we go, okay, well, what's the theme of the day for me today? What do I want to do? What, what's my next step in life? Rather than letting life happen to us, why don't we start to live on purpose? So in the mind's eye, you can actually look at that for yourself. And you realize all of a sudden, oh, today for me, I can sense that it's a day of healing. Or today, it's a, it's a, I can sense that it's a day of deepening into relationships with my family or my partner. Or today is a day of creation. Or today, I feel like later in the day, I'm going to release a big chunk of pain. And it's like you, you see your path for yourself more clearly, and then you can live it consciously and with intent. And that, that's how I like to structure meditations for me and my students, because 
that's what most of us are going through. And when we're living on purpose, when we're living with meaning, when we have a clear vision and direction, then it's much easier to sit in stillness and get something out of it. But if, if life is pulling you and you're being hammered by energy from every direction, then it's hard to be in stillness and enjoy it. You'll just get pulled out of it time and time again. That's what I hear from all of my meditators is I get distracted, I get up, they say, I can't handle the negativity in my mind. So we have to face it. So a lot of meditation teachers will say, you know, if you're having thoughts, just ignore them. But that can work if you're a really good meditator, but you might have to just look at them. So if you have a looping thought that's saying like, ah, oh, this is this money thing isn't going to work out, right? This is very common, this money thing, this money thing. Nobody likes to admit it, Vic, but every, this is what's going through everybody's head. This money thing or this or this relationship thing. So if the money thing is going through your head over and over and over, well, then look at it. Just take a moment, close your eyes and look at that loop and just see like a, like a film reel, right? You just see the images and you slow them down and then you go, oh, what's the energy on this image? Oh, it's that I'll never have enough money, right? It's that I'll never be good enough. It's that there isn't enough for everyone. And then you release that energy, you work through that and something in your life starts to shift. So that's how I like to approach it. I like that. I like how you bring up the whole thing on like letting go of the sludge, you know? Oh, there is so much. <laughs> Anybody else feeling a little sludgy today? Uh, I'm going to use that one. I like, I'm like, I'm, I got some sludge and slime to get out of me today. But like, what are you, I'll tell my wife that. She'll be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, don't worry. You'll know what that means in, in weeks to come. <laughs> David Gandelman talk about sludge. But just to be a little bit more clear about that, you might actually see the sludge. Like, oh, you might see a color on you or, or an emotion. People can see things with their mind's eye. You might see an image of a person's negativity that you've been holding on to. So I like to say, be creative and let it come to you however it comes to you. Don't let me define that. But I can guarantee if you pay attention, you'll start to become aware of energy. And as you do, it will start to shift. And when it does, your life will start to shift and you'll come back and be like, damn, I released sludge and then I got a job offer. All of a sudden, you know, some money came in or, you know, my relationship shifted. But this is my very in my very in-depth enlightenment teaching for today. Release the sludge and then see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, real quick though, when you do release the sludge, and let's say it was a money thing, and now if you say I have money or you release the sludge and you get that job you wanted or a new job came out of nowhere. Can you just share with some of the listeners who were hearing this, maybe the first time hearing this going energy, what I, this is that voodoo weird, weird stuff, woo woo stuff. What's going on here? How does that, how does that happen? Yeah. And th that's very, very common. First thing I would say, if you're one of those people listening to this, like David, what are you talking about? That's not rational. I don't understand. You're in your head. So I cannot give you an answer that will satisfy your intellect because this isn't in your intellect. Just like if I was teaching you piano and instead of playing, you were reading a book about playing or doing art or making love, right? Like nobody's read a book about <laughs> making love and then was really good at making love. In fact, the more you're in your head about it, the worse you're going to be at intimacy. So I just want to preface with like, there's nothing I can say that should satisfy your intellect fully because this is an experiential 
whole thing. I want you to experience it. So if you're like, what does that mean? How, how does that work? Uh, you know, this is my honest opinion. I think that on a telepathic level, we can absorb other people's thoughts. And on an empathic level, we can absorb other people's emotions, just like a sponge. Uh, and even at a, dis at a close distance or at, even at a great distance. That's just my personal life experience. Take it or leave it. But what I would say is explore that possibility. And now that doesn't, I mean, it doesn't even matter so much. You open your email, you're getting energy hit from a distance, right? You look at your phone, your TV. So it's happening in a very physical way as well. And so just like eating food, we're digesting energy, right? So the stomach digests food, but there's our energetic stomach and our energetic mind digests information and emotion. And so if you're eating negativity all day long, you better believe you're going to be overweight with negativity. And no matter how much you tell yourself and your friends, I'm not a negative person, but then every third word that comes out of you is negative. It's because you've absorbed so much negativity, you're becoming it. And it might be hard to believe, but you you're becoming the sludge. So we have to recognize that. And as we recognize it, just the recognition of the sludge will start to help it release. And then let me add a caveat, which is if you're somebody that takes yourself really, really seriously, which is like 90% of people and of my students who come to meditate, that seriousness, that intellectuality, that seriousness usually comes with it's the glue that will keep the sludge attached to you so if you're like i need to figure this out i need to deconstruct it i need to find who i should blame for it all of those things are the glue that will keep it there you need to lighten up take it easy on yourself and just let yourself see and feel whatever it is that you experience because these are the kinds of answers that come from the inside out these are the ones that no no other person can really tell you so you have to experience energy for yourself and if you're someone like i've never experienced energy Yes, you have. You just call it something else. Close your eyes and just start to become aware of whatever it is that you notice around you and go with that. It's like I tell, you know, when I hear that sometimes, I don't never experienced energy. And I'm like, you ever have a gut feeling that you went with and it came out to be true? Exactly. And they're like, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it. I'm like, and they'll look at me with that. I'll get this little look and I'm looking at them like, mm-hmm. And I love how you said it. You're just calling it something else. That's all. Yeah, that's all. I, I, crazy as this sounds, Vic, I had a dream last night uh, <laughs> that there was a homeless person outside my my building trying to get in. And I woke up in the middle of the night like, oh, what was that? And I walked outside first thing this morning and there he was. And this is the first time this has happened. It's not like this is it's that thing that happens. And I, and my eyes just got real big. I'm like, Oh man, trippy. <laughs> it, it, it's funny how that works out in some ways. I'll tell you, I've had that happen too, where you get like, I'll have a dream or if I'm looking to, um, and I don't know if it's my vision playing a role where I've been focusing on that to where all of a sudden it shows up in my dreams. And then all of a sudden, like I'm looking to hire somebody or I'm looking to whatever it may be. And then I just look and I'm like, gosh, yep. That, that, what the heck am I in another dimension? What the hell? This, this is exactly what I saw. Like, how is this happening? You know, but I mean, I understand how it's happening, but even my human nature is like, hold up, wait a minute. How the hell? <laughs> well, you know, I, 
I ran an intuitive training school for years. And so for me, this is like second nature. It's not something that I have to like struggle to believe, but I want everyone listening. If you're, if your mind isn't open to that yet, or it's just starting to open, don't believe me, just go with your own experience. But if, if you have a filter on your intellect that says this is impossible, it will stay that way. And you'll prove yourself right forever and miss out on an incredible opportunity to be more connected to life. So on an intuitive level, level, when we start really connecting with life, it will start to show us synchronicities. It'll start to show us some incredible miracles. I mean, things that you just, you would be like, how the hell did these things converge and happen? I cannot believe it. And once you start paying attention to those intuitive places inside yourself, they really do start to happen. I can't do it for you. And I can't describe the mechanisms and why. I I don't know. But like, I, for example, like you could be really good at the piano and not be able to describe how to play it, right? Or Michael Jordan could shoot free throws all day long. He might not be the best person to describe the physics of basketball, but you would still want him to be your coach. I'm definitely no Michael Jordan, but the analogy is play. Don't sit in your head. Play. With, you know, be engaged with life and then see what happens. I think you bring up something that I see a lot that is a big issue where uh, we live in this information era now and it's all about the information. Yeah. But we're not, you know, I was told now 13 years ago by my spiritual teacher, she's like, you have so much information, you know, the spiritual context, universal laws. it's, It's amazing how young you are to know this. Right. But she would always say, and I had a big ego back then. Hey, I still have an ego. We all do. But uh, I was leading my life back then. But she would say, wisdom comes from you when you have experience with that knowledge. And and I was always like, no, what do you mean? I go, I can get this is wisdom what I'm sharing with you. But I look back now and I remember when I first let her know when I went through this first time of an experience, what I thought I knew. And it was totally the opposite when I went through it all. And I called her and I was like, I finally get what you're talking about. Nice. That was me too, Vic. I had a degree in philosophy and I was just in my head, big ego thinking I knew everything at 22 years old. (laughs) (laughs) If you're 22, I'm not hating on you. You know, that was just me. I don't know where you're at, but (laughs) good luck. I'll just say, you know, from my own experience too, like if you are at that age, just, you know, build some experience up, build up that, uh, that, that bank account of experience. Then we'll have a conversation. (laughs) You know what, Vic, I also have had a lot of students who are older in age who are just starting this path and they feel really stuck and they think they're too old or they think there's too much to get through. There's too much trauma or history of pain. And that's not true either. Like you can, it doesn't matter what freaking age you are. If there is a will, there is a way. So use it, use whatever, whatever age, if you've got youth and strength, use it. If you've got age and wisdom and experience, use it, right? Life is giving you these tools for a reason. So, uh, you know, wherever you're at listening to this, you could do it. I, I know you can. There's nobody who's on this planet that can't do it. If you're still alive and here, you have, there is opportunity. Amen to that. Um, One quick last question I have for you is with all this wisdom, all the experiences you've had, the knowledge and everything, what would be something that you would share with your younger self 10 years ago that you would love to have love to have shared with that, you know, now? 
I think there would be two things. Like one is the one we just talked about, which was, I would say, David, let yourself have some experience. It's okay to have experience, let yourself grow. There was so much pressure that I put on myself when I was younger to like, my career has to be in order, my relationship life. I have to be enlightened by, you know, how old was Jesus when it happened? You know, whatever. <laughs> no, like, there's all this pressure. And even, yeah, looking back and even to this day, like too much expectation. You got to ease up on the expectation pedal and let yourself have the life experience. Because they say life only makes sense when you watch it in reverse. And when I look back at my life, Vic, like I always thought, oh, that moment was supposed to lead to a more perfect moment. Like, oh, that relationship ended. It was supposed to lead to, you know, marriage or a better relationship. But when you look back, you realize there's this gold in every imperfect moment. Just the experience of it in and of itself is so beautiful. Just as an example, I used to live in this shitty house on the second floor in Hawaii. We had no money. I had a partner at the time. We had no money. You know, things seemed kind of rough, but it was one of the happiest times in my life. It, looking back, it was just so special and unique, even though it was so imperfect. And if you look back on your life, you know, I think when we all die, we we have a life review. I don't care if you disagree with me. This is what I think. I know a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of religious traditions, they'll, they'll say this as well. We have a life review where we you kind of look back and maybe if maybe you think this just happens on, the, on your deathbed, fine. You kind of look back through your life and you see all these beautiful moments and it doesn't matter what so much like what you accomplished. It doesn't matter how much money you made. None of that matters, right? The only thing that ends up mattering is like the relationships that you cultivated, like those special moments where you exchanged love with somebody else. There's almost nothing else that matters. And I think that's the true currency of life. If you have depth of relationships and love in your life, then you've got it all. And looking back at my life, I underestimated all of those beautiful friends and relationships and moments that I had because I thought I needed to grow into something bigger and show the world or make money or whatever it was. And that stuff just didn't matter nearly as much as I thought it did. And I'm going to pat myself on the back right now because I'm really good at making friends. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I mean that like in a, in a genuine way, like I'm not making friends, you know, for status. Like I, I, I'm just maybe the way I'm wired, Vic, like I love making friends and I love going out of my way to help other people. It's like what if they're working on something, it's just the way I'm wired. And I appreciate that now so much about myself and realize the true value of, of that. So looking back, I wish I had a little bit more appreciation for that at the time so I could experience the moments a little bit deeper. But luckily I'm only in my mid thirties. So there's hopefully some more opportunity. Uh, you got a long way to go, but no, it's amazing how, again, I love how you brought up the whole, like, you know, life looking back is what makes sense. And, um, it is, it makes sense in reverse. And it's one of those things that it is true. I mean, um, not only in this time, but even when we go, it's, it's one of those things we'll do. Cause how does a soul, like I always, this will got me on the whole thing of curiosity about what we do as a soul after. And I'm like, well, how does the soul evolve? We're here to learn and grow and expand. Um, if that's really true, um, then, then, uh, what's, we have to have something to look back on That's because, because right. it's like as above as below, right? So this is what we do in life as a human being. We learn, we, we make sense when we look back at things. So the soul is going to do, has to do the same thing. If it is true that what's here is very similar to what's up there. 
And there's really no there. I'm just using it for simplicity. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. And uh, if you're listening to this, wherever you're at, if you like, if you're a little frustrated or distracted, just take a moment and absorb it in. This might be one of the best moments of your life because you, you're paying attention. It doesn't have to be extraordinary in terms of you know, the things that are happening. It's extraordinary because you exist. And if you could own that in every moment, you're going to have a huge shift in your life. There's no doubt about it. And I just want to finish with a, one of my favorite quotes from Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote, You Pray Love. And <laughs> She says, the only people who don't have fear are psychopaths and babies, and I don't want to be either of those. <laughs> and like, there will always be that. There will always be the invalidation. There will always be the fear, but embrace it anyway, and you're going to do great. So true. Hi, David, how can people get a hold of you and connect with you? Um, don't. No, just <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> uh, DavidGandelman.com. Uh, you can find all my stuff there. I have the Energy Matters podcast and the Grounded Sleep podcast. Energy Matters, we interview guests and Grounded Sleep is uh, I just guide you into meditation. And then probably the way people interact with me the most is through Insight Timer, the meditation app. I've got tons of free stuff on there. So if you want to come sit and meditate, you're more than welcome to. I, there we go. Sorry. I will um, definitely uh, connect people with you on Insight Timer because I always recommend that app like crazy. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. This was this was a blast. Um, I know we had a lot more to chat about. Uh, we ran out of time, but I'll definitely have you back on to dive deep into some other things. But uh, it was really a pleasure and I appreciate you taking some time and sharing some space with me to uh, share your heart, share what you love, share your story and what you're up to. Thank you, Dr. Vic, and thank you, everyone, for getting through this episode with us and listening. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. Mm-hmm.